Guys, uh, when I say that, it is, it is such an honor. It really is such an honor to be up here tonight. You know, uh, I'm reminded every day because I live with me uh, of, <laughs> right, of, of who I am and where I come from. And, you know, I'm just, I'm so thankful, man. Gosh, I'm so thankful to be up here. Gosh, I, I could be at a lot of places, uh, but I'm thankful to be here. I really am. Uh, guys, my, my heart tonight is that you would leave here, um, you would leave here knowing more about God and knowing his heart and that you would hear God speak to wherever you're at. And that um, ultimately what we're talking about tonight is that you would leave here better equipped to be a disciple of Jesus. That's the heart. That, that's, what, that's what tonight is really all about. All right. And so what is a disciple? You know, for those that haven't been listening to the, the, the series that we've been in or even showed up last Wednesday, what is a disciple? A disciple is simply this. It's a learner. Everybody say learner. It's a learner. A disciple is someone who's consumed with the idea of being like someone else. After they've been around this person, after they've been around them, their leave change. They look just like them. I called a friend of mine, I shared this last week, uh, who's much smarter than me, and asked him, man, what does a modern-day disciple, disciple, what does that look like? And he likened it to, to the Marines. Simplify. You come in, you leave boot camp, you're a Marine. Like, you, you look like one, you sound like one, you think like one. You don't just know about a Marine, you are one at that point. And it's that kind of consuming process. And so to be a disciple of Jesus is to be like him, be consumed with being like him. Not just knowing about him, a fan of him, but being like him. You're so familiar with how he thinks. Come on, some of you who are married in the room, you know what I'm talking about. You've been married long enough to know how your spouse thinks, right? We're talking about that kind of consuming closeness with Jesus, to be like him. I want to know how he thinks. I want to know his attitude. I want to know his heart. I want to be like him, a disciple. So how do we become like him? The challenge is this, though. We are 2,000 years removed from him. We have a book about him, not a video, not a podcast. By the way, he's spirit. He ascended, right? We don't see him. Okay, now, now be like him. It's a challenge. It requires something more than what modern day would present. And not only that, how do we become like Jesus in the midst of the many responsibilities that we have? We got bills to pay, mouths to feed, scheduling, baseball games to go to. We have things on our plate. And so what ends up happening is that becoming like Jesus is a great idea, but it seems so far. And it seems like it gets more compartmentalized and categorically put in my life than being the center consuming, you know, point in my life. And so what I've found is that discipleship looks like this. It looks like beholding Jesus through reflection. It looks like belonging to Jesus through repentance. And it looks like behaving like Jesus through reaching, where scripture is central, community is primary, and the Holy Spirit is the means. That's discipleship. And so last Wednesday, we really unpacked this idea of behold, beholding Jesus through reflection. And what we found is that Christianity is not about doing more, but looking more, looking more at him. Because what we found is that scripture puts more of an emphasis on the understanding of the heart than it does the head. This is why Paul prayed that. I pray that the eyes of your heart would, would what? Be enlightened. That the light on the inside would come on. 
And that something we would have understanding at a heart level, not just a head level, and out of our hearts would flow our life. We would become like him. Beholding. And what I challenge you to do last week was spend some time this past week reflecting, reflecting on scripture, reflecting on some truth about who God is, and, and behold that, glance on that, contemplate that. But tonight I want us to spend some time together looking at belonging to Jesus. It's about our identification with him. And so we're going to go to the words of arguably the greatest disciple of Jesus who ever lived, Paul. Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament that's in the Bible. He said this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul, in just a few sentences, is explaining his entire discipleship method. And I believe as as we're looking at Paul's words last week, this week, and next week, we will see the genius of God and a way to become more like Jesus, even in the face of the many responsibilities that we carry in the 21st century. See, I believe that if transformation is as simple as beholding Jesus, then why isn't it that easy? If it's that simple, why isn't it that easy? Why isn't it that I can just come to church then, hear a lot about him, see him a lot, and yet nothing, nothing happens on the inside, and I still look the same? Because something, just because something is simple doesn't mean that it's easy. It requires something more. You see, Paul says this, we behold with unveiled face. Everybody say unveiled. An unveiled face. You see, it's only with unveiled faces that we behold. But what is the veil? A few verses before, Paul says this, but their minds were hardened. Indeed, to this very day, when they hear the reading of the old covenant, the old promise, the old solemn promise that God made with the nation of Israel, that same veil, everybody say veil, is still there since only in Christ is it set aside. Indeed, to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil, everybody say veil, a veil lies over their minds, a veil. Now, when we say veil, what do we mean by that? Well, biblically, this is referring to a couple different things. What Paul is talking about, he's referring to a a moment in Moses' life in Exodus 34, where Moses went up on a mountain, and the mountain shook, and God visited that mountain at Mount Sinai, and there was thunder and darkness, and it shook the very mountain that the nation of Israel was by, and Moses went up on the mountain, and he met with God, and for 40 days, he met with God face to face and received the terms of the covenant, the solemn promise that God was going to make to these people, and Moses was going on their behalf. And so when he came down from the mountain with these two tablets, as, you know, as we all know, the Ten Commandments, he saw that this nation of Israel were already worshiping a golden calf. And what does he do? Out of anger, he breaks both, the, both of the tablets. And he finds that eventually that God is not only a God of justice and holiness, but a God of mercy. And this is where we see the start of the sacrificial system put in place. But then it says this, that he goes back up on the mountain and he gets another copy of the commandments. And when this time, when he comes down, his face is shining brightly, having spent time with God. And the Bible says that the people, when they saw it, were afraid. It was unfamiliar. They didn't feel like they belonged. And so what did Moses do? He put a veil 
over his face to keep it hidden. There's another veil that we can talk about that when Paul penned this, he had this in mind. It's the veil in the tabernacle. For those who don't know what a tabernacle is, it's, it's, it's the church in the Old Testament. It's a building. Where's God? Well, he visited a building, a tabernacle. And in the building, he wasn't just in the foyer and he wasn't just in the sanctuary. He was in the back room called the Holy of Holies. And if you wanted to go and meet God, you didn't meet him in the lobby. You didn't meet him in the holy place. You had to go to the Holy of Holies. And so on one day a year, a day of atonement, a high priest would enter behind this veil that separated the holy from the holy of holies. And they would go and stand before God. No one else was permitted to enter but the high priest. Bells lined the hem of his garment, and a rope was tied around his ankle. So if he were to die in the Lord's holy divine presence, the other priests would not have to go in and die with him to get him. They would hear the bells stop ringing and know something's wrong, and they would bring him out. A veil. A veil is what prevents a thing from being understood. A veil is the thing that keeps us hidden from God, separated and not belonging to him. The veil is about separation from who God really is. It's seeing but not understanding. It's anything I can put between me and God when I don't understand and I feel like I don't belong. I think we have a veil that we use in our walk with God. I think it's a self-effort veil. It's a veil where we go to God and we feel like we can only get near to him if we've done enough good works. It's a veil that we put on and we say, God, I'm worthy only when I can show you what all I've done. We cover up feelings of shame and unworthiness from our past and our failures by bragging on God of the things that we did do for him. We get religious and our prayers can quickly become sound like begging rather than asking. And we approach God like a work contract rather than a relationship. You know, I see this in Mary and Martha. It says this, that now as they went on the way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her it didn't help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, 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 Martha. You are worried and distracted by many things, but there's only one thing. There's really need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. You know, I think Martha is a beautiful image of this veil that I'm talking about, this veil of self-effort. Because this is the thing, as much as it is that we're supposed to behold God, we have to realize that he's also beholding us. And we have to be comfortable with that. You see, imagine the eyes of Jesus, full of truth, the most discerning man who ever lived, who cannot be manipulated or deceived. He saw right through you. And imagine sitting at his feet and him looking at you and teaching you. He saw right through you. You couldn't squirm. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't deceive him. He knows you through and through. And so rather than we come to God and we do the same thing, we know he knows. And so what do we do? We, we put our best foot forward. And like Martha, we get busy doing other things. And rather than being beheld by God, we try to do for God. It's a veil. And we put it on. And so I I go to God, and and before I go to God, I I put a veil on. Okay, I'm ready to go see him now. 
God, this is, this is what I'm, I, you know, I'm praying for my neighbor because, you know, they're just really going through a lot, God, and I'm, I'm trying to help them. God bless the city. God, have your way. And it's about well, the good things that we do for him rather than letting him behold us. We can get caught using religious words rather than speaking from the heart. We can approach God with an I got this attitude. That's that self-effort veil. And, you know, I do the same thing. And oftentimes I'll, I'll be talking to God, and then when I'm done with my religious talk, then I'm like, okay, now I can really talk. You know what I'm talking about? Praise God, hallelujah, Jesus, I love you, amen, you're awesome, praise God. And then I really get to the heart of it. God. That's what I'm talking about. It, it's like I have this tendency to want to put a veil on. A self-effort veil, like Martha, rather than being beheld by him just as I am. And we see, this, we see this in the garden, don't we? We see this at the beginning of creation, Adam and Eve. The fall takes place, and what happens? In the cool of the evening, God walks around. Where are you, Adam? Finds him. He's covered with what? Fig leaves, a veil, to cover what he feels most vulnerable with. God, don't look at me. Don't see me. I just want to put my best foot forward. Because if I have to stand before you, that means I also have to acknowledge my failure, my weakness, my feelings of unworthiness. So I cover, I cover myself before God. I put a veil between us. And you know, this, this is the reason why we can do so many Christian things. We can come to the Bible study. We can come to the prayer meeting. We can come to church on Sunday morning. We can do the religious things, right? But it never quite transforms us. And we say, God, what, what, what happened? And he said, you didn't, you didn't take off the veil. You never quite felt like you belonged. You're still trying to do it in your own strength. I got this. When we have that veil, I tell you right now, the cross will seem offensive to you. The cross is, it, it seems foolish. It's foolish. It's not something we meditate on. It's not something that we want to know because we say we've seen it. I've got this. And we put on our veil. Not only do we have a self-effort shame veil that we can put on with God, we also have a spiritual veil. In the next chapter, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says this. Paul's talking. He says, and even if the gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. To what? To keep them from seeing, beholding the light of the gospel, the truth, the exposure, the admission of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Yet again, veil. See, there's a spiritual fight going on for our hearts. The God of this world is very real, and it's Satan. I hate to admit that. He is the God of this world, and he is a blinder who blinds the mind. You've heard people maybe say this. Maybe you've said this. I've said this at times. I've heard the gospel, but I feel like I don't understand it. I read the Bible, but it's hard to really believe. It's a spiritual veil, a dullness of the heart that hasn't come alive. The mind knows, but the, the mind also knows that the heart doesn't see it. And so there's a dullness in the heart. And you can't make it come alive. It's a veil. 
It comes in the form of numbness and dullness. And it's what Satan does. He blinds the hearts of men and women. It's where we can speak to the mind, but not speak to the heart. It's dull. It's like wood. It's hard-heartedness. See, when we have made this world our God, when our focus, attention, and confidence is put into the things of the world where there's compromise, we find ourselves with a spiritual veil that dulls the heart. And we fail to see Christ and his glory, who he is. There's a dullness that creeps in when we turn to the things of the world, the God of this world, we get blinded. You see, I'm not saying we have to be perfect. We all struggle with sin, but we can find ourselves snuggling with sin at times. And this dulls the heart. I'm not talking about you need to be struggle-free. None of us are perfect. But I'm talking about when we snuggle up next to the things that we know we shouldn't. And what happens is that spiritual veil, the blinder we let in. Because you can't have the goodies, you can't have the pleasure, you can't have the goodness that he offers without the weight and the authority that he brings. He says, yeah, you can have the porn, but I'm going to bring dullness to the heart. And so you'll see and not really believe. You'll hear but not understand. It's a blinder. It's a spiritual veil. This is why the, the little brother of Jesus said this, adulterers adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wishes to be friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. He's not talking to unbelievers, he's talking to believers, Jews and Gentiles, who believe in Christ, us. He's saying, don't you know that? Don't you know that your heart will grow dull as you get closer and make comfortable and snuggle next to the things of this world? Don't you know that? Don't you know that, yeah, and, we, and we, so that's why we come to church and we're like, this is all dull. I don't understand it. It doesn't mean anything. Blinder. The blinder has veiled your heart. You're not seeing the light of the gospel of God, who is the glory that is found in Christ. We're not beholding it. And because there is a spiritual veil. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says something very similar. And you heard it in Pastor Destiny's message this past Sunday. No one can serve two masters. You end up hating one and loving the other. You'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and be a slave to money. You can't serve the God you don't see and worship the God that you, that you do see in that way. You're going to be married to the material or to be open and, and sensitive to the immaterial, to the spiritual. It's the dullness of the heart. And you know, that's, that, but see, that's the thing is that the heart is so devious. Look at, Jam, look at Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, the heart is devious above all else. It's perverse. Who can understand it? And see, that's the tricky thing about our hearts is that they deceive us. They tell us that we're okay with God because our heart says, look to the head. You understand it. You're okay. But the heart is still dead. The heart is what Tim Keller says is an idol factory. Constantly, constantly looking to other things other than God as the most important thing. And it's always the things of the world. 
And it's the same things that one of the other greatest disciples of Jesus ever lived, John, the revelator, he wrote in 1 John, he said what? He said the three things that the world offers, that the God of this world offers, and in exchange will blind you for, is what? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What looks good, feels good, and makes you feel powerful. And this is why, this is why Jesus said, it's the same, it's the same thing. If, if I love money, what makes me feel powerful can make me look good in the eyes of men. My heart a veil will begin to overshadow it, and I will not behold it. And all of a sudden, the things of God, prayer becomes boring, the Bible becomes dull, my Christian community becomes drama, and all I see is the negative, and then I, I find myself drifting away. This is what makes God God, and I love it, is that we can't fully know in our hearts, but it's an attribute of God that he alone does. He alone, no one, not one of us can look inwardly into the chaos and understand it and say, I know how to put it in order and I see it fully. God alone knows how to do that. God alone looks at the hearts of men and women. God alone looks at your heart and sees where you're at. God alone is the one who can put it in order. It's God and God and him alone. So how was the veil removed? How is the veil removed? And I love this. Oh, I love this. Second Corinthians 3, it says, this is right before verse 18. He says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and what the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. I love that it's not a question. It's not a probability. It is removed. And you know, so many times when we turn to Jesus, when we turn to God, and I love that it's just a turning. It's just literally, I was facing this way, but now I'm turning this way. That's literally all that word means. I'm literally just, it's just changing my posture, changing my orient. The moment I say, ah, I'm getting dull, let me turn to Jesus, the veil's removed. The veil's removed. And what was once dull becomes alive and sensitive once again. And so it looks like this. It looks like I'm driving in the car and I have this veil of self-effort before God. I'm just spitting off a bunch of religion and nothing means anything really because I come from the heart. And I have just a veil before God. And there's a moment when I have to say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me turn to God for just a moment. And the veil of self oh, wait. Oh, yeah, I didn't earn anything with God. He just calls me son. And because of the love of Jesus, I can come to God, not, not perfect, but imperfect. And he's going to accept me, and I have that assurance. Oh, yeah, veil is removed. Oh, God, I, I, I'm not doing well, actually. Let's talk. I keep failing. The veil is removed when I turn to Jesus. I love that my self-effort is swallowed up in the work of the cross when I turn to him. I love that I'm, I'm, I'm set free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. The veil's removed, the veil's removed, the veil's removed. Jesus frees, frees us from our self-effort, from our spiritual blinders. I'm, I'm, I'm going, and I don't even realize, but I'm, I'm getting dull to the things of God. Prayer seems whatever. I'm putting aside, I got this, God. And then what I do, I, I turn to him, God. Wait, whoa, whoa. It's like I almost woke up, and it's been two weeks, and it's like, Whoa, Satan took a little bit more than I thought. I I didn't want him to. Took my time, took my energy, took my attention, took my money, took some mistakes. Woo, let me just turn to Jesus. Let me just go back to Jesus, what I do know. And all of a sudden, oh, there it is. 
oh, the heart's tender again. I'm alive to the things of God again. The veil is removed. Jesus removes the spiritual blinders. He removes the self-effort. He removes the, our capacity for making things bigger than what they really are. In him, we see that we belong. In Jesus, we see that we belong. We turn to Jesus and we encounter a love and an acceptance and a power that demolishes the things that we hide behind and are distracted by. Gotta know something about God. God stands at a, at a starting line, ready and waiting. And he's got a heart monitor on every human being on planet Earth. He has a heart monitor on you right now. And he's constantly looking. And that the moment you even turn to him a bit, he's there. He's there. You, you, you could be, you can be, this is, why, this is why the thief on the cross makes so much sense, doesn't it? He had a heart monitor on the thief on the cross. And the moment, the moment he even turned, I'll see you in paradise. I got you. I got you. Because that's the thing about God. God wants you really, really bad. God loves you very, very much. And you can take off the veil and you'll find love. You'll find a love and an acceptance that will blow your ever-loving mind. That's what Jesus does, is that when you turn to the Lord, the veil is removed. My veil of self-effort, my veil of shame, the spiritual dullness that sets in, I don't have to live in that. Matthew 27, it says this, that Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last breath. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple, the veil was torn in two. From top to bottom, the earth shook and the rocks split. The veil that separated God and man has been torn in Christ. Jesus dealt with our shame and worthiness on the cross. He sees through the veil of our self-effort and shame and offers us acceptance, not on our works, but it is. And that's why he came to free us from shame. That's why Adam and Eve, God saw the pitiful veil that they had on. And before he sent them out, what did he do? He made some sacrifices. He killed some animals and gave them a different kind of covering. And in the same way, that's what Jesus does. Jesus covers our shame, our feelings of unworthiness, our failures, the overwhelming sense and narrative that we tell ourselves that we don't belong. He overwhelms that with his love by sending his one and only son, Jesus. And so that's why we can turn to Jesus, the cross, and it's, it's a big welcome sign. All are welcome. It's inclusion. You belong. You belong. And the veil is removed. He doesn't do it by force. He does it by invitation. He does it by a love that's displayed, that has changed the world. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It says, for it is God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is God who in the same way spoke in the void at creation saying, let there be light. And there was light. God Almighty can speak, to the, speak light to the dull, dark places in our hearts and show us the glory of God in Christ. When we don't understand, when we don't see, we ask God the Father of lights to light it up on the inside. 
Don't let me be dull, God. Don't let me be, don't let me have that veil, that spiritual veil over my life. I want to be tender. I want to be sensitive. I want to see and know, not just mentally ascend. I want to know. I want to gnosko. I want to experientially know. I want to know in my being. The Father of lights will do that. And why did you do that? Because we've been bought, we've been bought, we've been owned, we belong to him. First Peter says, for you know that God paid a ransom, paid a price to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your mom and dad. And it was not paid with a mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was, it was with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. You know, we belong to him. You belong to him. Bought and paid for, you belong to him. He is your home. He is someone, you know, when you're home, I don't know about you, but when I get home, I can dress a little different than when I'm on the stage. See, when I'm home, I can let my hair down. I can walk around my boxers. In my pajamas. I can wear that shirt that no one else has seen but only my wife. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's got so many holes. I can say things freely when I'm home. When I'm not home, there's a veil. There's a veil. And you know, we see this, we see this even with we see this even with Moses, that he would go out to the tent of meeting, and it's only at the tent of meeting he would take off the veil before God and he would talk to God face to face as a friend speaks to a friend, the Bible says. In a similar way, when God is our home, we can let our proverbial hair down because we know we belong and this is home. And the cross of Jesus is the constant reminder of that. It's what, what removes the veil. Self-effort, shame, any spiritual dullness. He's our home. This is why for the disciple of Jesus, this is why the love of Christ for the disciple of Jesus is our identity. I constantly have to go back to that. I, can't, I never graduate from it. Call me pastor, theologian, friend, husband, father. I still, though, have to go back to the cross to remind myself of the love of God. Because the more I become aware of my failings, the more I become aware of my weaknesses, the more I have to be convinced of that. That he loves me, that I've been bought with a price. He's my home. You know, you think about a bride's veil in a wedding. She's walking down the aisle. And what does the husband do? He gets to remove the veil. Why? Because now she, and they belong to each other, rather, by the way, this isn't like a male and woman thing, but she belongs to him now. Right? When, again, it's that same point. When, when there's an unveiling, when you take off the makeup, when you can, that's a sign that you belong. That's a sign of home. Your tendency to put a veil on with God, it just shows one thing. You don't know that Christ is your home yet. And you know, that's why Paul prayed that. He said, I pray that with all the saints, you would have the strength, the strength why? So that Christ may make his dwelling place in your heart. It's a second apostolic prayer in Ephesians. I, 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 you, it, takes, it does take strength 
to be convinced, to, to not knee-jerk reaction, put the veil on like we do with everyone else. We have to know that, that when we unveil like a wedding, I am yours, and I belong here, and I don't have to beg. I get to ask. I don't have to be worthy enough because you're worthy. Come on, guys. Are you all with me? I'm just so thankful. I'm, I'm just, that's me. Maybe this is just me, man. Maybe I'm the only one struggling with a veil. If anything, thank y'all for being here tonight. I'm doing this for me, baby. But we're free. We're free to be unveiled. And that's why he says with the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. Freedom to let your hair down. Freedom without shame and without dullness of the heart. Christ removes the veil and we're free to belong to him, to behold him, and be transformed from glory to glory in the same image. That's why Paul said it's with unveiled faces. It's with unveiled faces that we behold. Not with a veil. It's when our veil is off. And, you know, this can apply, this is on my notes, but, you know, this, this, can, apply to, this can apply to our community, can it? Right? We want to have church, and, and it's like, I mean, can I go there? It's, I'm going to take off my veil. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm not going to put just my best foot forward. I'm going to veil a little bit because this is home. And it's a safe place for me to be honest and vulnerable and be met with acceptance as love just like I do with him. And, and, and so we think that maybe being a Christian is just about the doing, but really, again, it's about the looking. Because if you can look to him and let him behold you, you'll be the kind of person who can do that in the world. You can take off the veil and relate to anybody. Hey, man, I see through your self-effort. Hey, you don't need to be ashamed. Hey, I don't understand. That's okay, man. I know, I know God who can give you that understanding. I just don't feel it. That's okay. That's okay. I believe God can do that. You can be the kind of person who's okay and comfortable with being unveiled. And you know, what this does for us, it makes us into people of integrity, makes us people of character. And this is the brilliance and the genius of God, is that he said, whatever's done in secret will be made known in public. And that's what that's about. Is that I find my tendency is that when I'm less, I'm less likely, I'm less uh, vulnerable with God in the secret place. So I, I'm not doing this, I'm not, I'm, I'm unveiling here. I find that, I find that the less I do that, the more I do that with other people. I just wear my veil. I lie. I try to impress. The heart just grows more dull. But it's when I go and it's, I just unveil before God. I just, this, and this, can I be honest, this is actually what my unveiling looks like. And it's like, then when I come out, it's like, Okay, <coughs> if I let him see me, who's perfect, all right, I think I'm a little more comfortable with you. And you know what's so cool is that that spiritual dullness becomes really something that's beautiful because when I'm sensitive and I carry this out, I'm tender towards people. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not dull. I'm not just chasing another dollar. I'm not just treating my employees a certain way. I'm not just treating my wife anyway, my husband anyway, my children anyway. I'm a little more tender. 
because I unveiled it. I took my veil off with God. I think the question becomes, how do we remain veilless? Veilless. How do we not slip back into self-effort, feelings of shame and compromise? How do we unveil before God so we can behold him and be transformed? What does that look like? First thing you need to know is that the Holy Spirit is your exposer. It says in John, Jesus said this about his Holy Spirit. He said, and he, when he comes, he will convict the world regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. He says later on that when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into what? All truth. You know, it's so funny how freedom and truth work together. Isn't that funny? The Holy Spirit will expose and lead you into truth. You can count on that. You know, if you were to ask Jesus and sit him down in the room with just you and you ask, Jesus, I, I want to grow. I want to grow and be all that you've called me to be. I want to grow. I want to look like you. It's so funny what he would say. He would be like, oh, you do? Oh, great. All right. Well, listen, I'm going to go. And he would leave. And you're like, where are you going, Jesus? And you'd be like, where are you going? And he would be like, oh, I'm sending someone who's going to be better. <laughs> He's going to be better able to equip you and grow you. Okay? Peace. I'm going to help you from heaven. I'm going to intercede. And he would go, and he said, I'm going to send you, <clears throat> I'm going to send you the Proclatos, the helper, the advocate. One called alongside. It's been called many things. But I'm going to send you someone who's going to help you with that. Who will expose you and pour, point out when you're wearing a veil. The Holy Spirit will point out when, when you got it. You ever have the Holy Spirit, you've been to church service, you're worshiping God, and, and praise and singing the song, and like the Holy Spirit just like checks you. Just like, do it like you mean it. It's like, all right. You be talking to God, driving your car, talking to God. Have the Holy Spirit just say to you, really talk to me. You ever just be complaining to God, telling God, asking God, begging God for things, and God just checks you and says, why don't you trust me? Holy Spirit, what is he doing? Exposing you. Thank you. Thank you, God. I like putting that veil on a lot, don't I? He will remind you when you forget who you are, and he'll remind you whose you are very quickly. The Holy Spirit will do that. He will gently remind you of God's truth about your life. And you know, the Holy Spirit is not something that's so hocus-pocus, and he is a mystery. No one can, you cannot control the Holy Spirit. Try doing it. You're not going to do it. You can't bend his arm and make him show up and do something. He's a person. And he lives on the inside of believers. And he's with you. All you got to do is talk to him and invite him. Often there'll be a moment in my life and throughout my day where I'll ask that. I'll ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, convict me. Expose me. Because I know I have a tendency to put a veil on. Expose me, Holy Spirit. Come on. And you know, so gentle. He will do that. If you invite the Holy Spirit, hear me, if you will invite him, he will come. He will come at your invitation. And when he comes, he will be your friend, your helper. Really close. You want to talk about home? <laughs> Can't get any closer than your heart. Next. 
your confession, you need to remember this, your confession is your declaration. Let me unpack that. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess, I think it's so interesting enough to point it out. It's in Greek. It's homologeo. And it means to confess, to profess. It's about an emphatic declaration of a truth. To confess, homologeo is to say the same thing. So what we're saying here is that if we will say the same thing that God is saying about our sins... We will walk in that truth. We will declare that. What will God do? There will be forgiveness. There will be a cleansing from unrighteousness. Because I'm lining up my confession with his declaration about my life and about the sin in my life, about the failings in my life. So my confession is this. You have forgiven me. My sin is as far as the east is from the west. I belong to you. I am weak, but you are strong. And I find forgiveness, and I find a cleansing in my heart when my confession lines up with what he declares. We are belonging, identifying. We are letting our hair down when we honestly confess and say the same thing God is saying about our lives. We're saying that despite the way I feel about my failings and weaknesses, that's not the right idea. You got the right idea. I belong to you. Confession is powerful. That's why Paul wrote in Romans, he said, it's, if you believe in your heart and what? Confess with your mouth. It's powerful. You will be saved. Confession is powerful. An admission. And then begin to say the same thing God is saying. It's powerful in your life. Homologeo. Say the same thing. And this is the genius of what Pastor Philip does every Sunday morning. What do we do? Put our hand on our heart and we say our declaration. I am a child of God. Come on. It's the genius of it. We're saying who we are. We're declaring that. We're confessing that. Homologeo. This is what you say about me, God. I'm saying the same thing you say about me. I am a child of God. Come on. I can do all things. Come on. It's a confession. Next, you need to know that the scriptures are a mirror. The scriptures are your mirror. Jesus' Jesus's little brother, James, he says, for if any hearers of the word and are not doers of the word, they will are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and go on going away, immediately forget what they look like. Likens the Bible to a mirror that does what? What do mirrors do when you look in it? Other than tell you how beautiful you are, right? They, they, they have the ability to highlight something that you didn't see before. You look in a mirror because you can't look at yourself, right? You look in a mirror because you're looking for something. You're checking a nose hair, a blemish, something in your teeth typically, right? It exposes you. It's like a mirror. This is what it also says. This is what the writer of Hebrews says about 
about the word. It says, indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to what? Judge the thoughts and the intentions of what? The heart. The heart. The heart. And so we have to look at the mirror that is the word. Let the Bible expose me. It's designed, you understand what the Bible is meant to do. The Bible is meant to convince you that you need to turn to Jesus. Because you are going to find it in at least one thing that you are not doing right in your heart. Every time. Did that this morning. <laughs> but when we unveil, right, what does it do? It unveils your intentions and your, ambi- your ambitions. It unveils you, right? you got to let the word do that. This is the helpers that God has given us, the Holy Spirit. He's given his word and your ability to declare that and confess that, to keep that veil from setting over anymore. Lastly, the body is your accountability. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of of the righteous is powerful and effective. Eho mo lago omai. I messed that up. It means to openly confess. Now, some of you, by the way, are probably wondering, why are we doing Greek? (laughs) The reason is, is because the New Testament is written in Greek. It also has some Aramaic in it. The words of Jesus, he spoke Aramaic but he read and wrote Greek. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And so that's why we're going to the original language because sometimes in the translation from one language to another, you lose some things. Like for instance, both words say confess, but they're used in different ways. And so we openly confess, James says. We are to admit openly when we are struggling with a veil before God. I have friends that I will call and I will say, my heart is dull. Prayer is so dull to me right now. Pray for me. There is a spiritual veil. I'm not, I, it is all dull. I don't see it. And I need to. Pray for me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting things that I know I shouldn't want that I want. And I know that. Romans 7. So what do I need? I'll call a friend. Call a pastor. Will you pray for me? This is where I'm at. What am I doing? Taking off the veil. Taking off the veil. Because I mean it that much to have my heart live in the light of him. I mean it that much. Because out of your heart flows your life. And so we pray for each other. Now listen, I don't, it, I don't um, recommend openly confessing things to just anybody. That's immaturity. We need to be discerning and have wisdom about the people that we expose those things to lest they use it to against us. But when we have people that we trust, that we're able to do this with, who are walking with God, there's something about it that keeps the heart unveiled. And he keeps God in the conversation. We pray for each other. I want to share one more scripture with you, and then I would like for us to do a practice this tonight together for just five to seven minutes or so. Um, why, do, why, do, why do we fight for our hearts to be unveiled before God? Matthew 5, 8. 
if you don't get anything else from tonight, I pray that you get this. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The reward for purity is intimacy. The reward for honesty is intimacy. We unveil to what? To behold God, to know him. And I'll tell you what, when you behold him, know him, and you let him behold you for all that you are, my friend, that's called intimacy. It's to know and be well acquainted with one another on a deep level. That's our drive. Our, our motivation behind purity and, and keeping the veil open and, and go. It's, it's not to earn something from God. And it's not to be better than others. It's to see God. And this is why what separates religion from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Both will, uh, will preach purity, but for two very different reasons. Religion will say, live pure and unveiled before God so that you may earn something. But the gospel of Jesus says, live pure and unveiled before God so you can see something. You can behold him so you may know God. And guys, as I shared last week, listen, this is, where, this is good eschatology. This is good end times. This is where we're headed. Don't you know that? Revelation, the apocalypse is not about catastrophic events. Literally, apocalypse literally means to unveil, to disclose something, to share something, to reveal it. That's where we're headed. We're in the fifth gospel in the, in, the, in, the New, in the New Testament. Revelation reveals that Jesus is God, divine. That's what all of Revelation is about, is that Jesus is God. He's divine. He's deity. And he will show the world that. We will see God, and we'll see him on this side of the life, or we'll see him on the next, right? And so purity, again, does not mean perfection, but it does mean pursuit. It means honesty. It means I'm on a journey of walking in this way. This is why I love, I love the language that Paul says. He says, when you turn to the Lord, the veil is removed. Disciples of Jesus are not perfect people. They're turned people. And throughout my day, I'm just constantly doing this. You, you don't see it, but in, in my heart, this is what I'm constantly doing. It's just, it's just ooh, don't go there. Don't go here. No, go here. Because why? The heart is devious. It's perverted. It has to be led or it'll lead you in places you never, you don't, you're going to regret. This is why the writer of Hebrews says this, lastly. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the, the sin, every weight and sin that clings so easily. The sin that we struggle with and really, really snuggle with, right? And let us what? Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. And what are we supposed to be doing? Looking to Jesus. When you turn to Jesus, the veil is removed. And so when I'm constantly fighting from my heart to gaze in pursuit of him, which is purity, I will behold him. I will look to him. I will become like him. I belong to him. He is my identity. This week, I want to invite you to pick an area in your life that you know you would like to grow in. If you're struggling with a veil of self-effort and shame, feeling unworthy before God, if you are struggling with a spiritual veil and it seems dull and you don't understand, the light is not on. This is the moment, 
not chasing an experience and not demanding an answer, but putting yourself out there. That's real vulnerability. Not, God, I'll give you this if you give me this. Okay, that's work contract. That's self-effort. But just, hey, here I am. Here I am. I don't even need you. Like, I don't need to tickle. I don't need to feel. I don't need it. I just, here I am. Ooh, that's really uncomfortable if you've never done that. That's really vulnerable. But I want to challenge you to do that with God. Declare, confess, say the same thing God is saying about those areas of your life. And make that confession. I belong to you. I belong to you. And watch what God does in your heart. Watch the veil get removed. It'll happen. Last thing I want us to do together for these seven, eight minutes or so, five minutes or so. Uh, I'm going to throw up some questions, if you will, Ed. Uh, these are Wesley's, John Wesley, he's the father of the uh, Methodist movement. Methodist churches that you see around, this guy, John Wesley, really important. He wrote some questions, and for 200 years, his people asked these questions in groups. They would get around friends and brother, brothers that they can confess to, and they would ask these, these, these 21 questions, and we're going to cycle through them. But they would ask these questions of, am I enjoying prayer? Did I go to bed on time and get up on time? Because how many of us know when we're, when we're fleshly tired, what two things we want more than anything? Right? I'm I arming myself against my flesh. I don't need to be fighting uh, sexual thoughts and, and, and wanting to overeat. I'm going to go to bed on time and get up on time. Did I do, disobey God in anything? Because sometimes we just discount that. It's like, no, the Holy Spirit told you to go up to that person in Walmart and you didn't do it. Admit that. Take off the veil and say you failed. Did I grumble or complain constantly? Come on, man, your spouse, my wife is so good at being like, Alex, you're complaining too much. And I'm like, take off that veil. Is Christ real to me? Or is my heart dull? These are questions that you ask yourself. Every now and then I cycle through these. This is how I developed student leaders for years. I use these questions. I sit and I say, let's ask each other. And if you're in a safe community, this is a great question to ask, questions to ask each other in your marriage. Drop them. Don't pull out the list, but just drop them. Be like, be like, hey, babe, just a question I was asking myself recently. You know what I mean? It's like, I just feel like I'm just kind of a slave to dress and jewelry and things. You know, it's. Am I self-conscious? Am I self-pitying? Am I self-justifying? Watch yourself. Watch your heart. Did I, did, I, did I spend money? Did I pray about the money that I spent today? Did I just bought what I felt and what I need? Did I pray about that? These are, these are really, really good questions. Here, here's what I want us to do for these next several moments. Is I would like for us, we're going to put some music on and maybe we can even turn down the lights and we're going to just cycle through these, these three slides. And what I want us to Hey, before we do that, let's um, let uh, let's let's take it maybe one more step in in terms of of practicality. By the way, beautiful beautiful teaching. Come on, just beautiful teaching. Beautiful beautiful. Never in my life have I heard unveiling like that. It's beautiful. Uh, and and. Uh, Okay, so what do you do? Let's let's go practically. Yeah. Okay, like very practically, 
um, I get the idea of coming before God, of unveiling, right? But what are some what are some practical things that help? Now, these questions are very, very, very. I mean, this is a great way. Um, just bringing some attention to some of the things that you that you've already said, as you said, okay, there are people in my life, right? Absolutely. You know that I call. What are what are some other practical things like because we we become. Uh, Maybe we're aware right now of some things that we are, but but maybe not, right? Maybe this is June of 2022, right? right. We want to we be pure before God, but all of a sudden, something has come up, right? There's a veil that we're wearing. What do we do in June, right? What are some practices that we can have, some, some things that we can put into a daily routine or a weekly routine, very practical things that would go, this right here helps me get that veil off. Yeah, I think the first thing you could do is immediately go to Scripture. You could Google it, right? Like, I'm struggling with whatever the topic is. You could literally Google Scriptures on whatever that thing is. Very good. Take a few Scriptures that jump out. You have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Mm -hmm. If a few Scriptures jump out, and what you do is write them down. You know, science shows that when you write something down, you have over a 60% chance of remembering it better, internalizing it better. And I'll do that over the years. I'll write down scriptures. I'll take screenshots on my phone. And what I'll do is throughout the day, I will look at those scriptures. And what I'm going to do, homo legeo, I will confess the same thing God is saying about that area of my life. God, you said this. And I'll make that that confession. I'm constantly putting out there. And what am I doing? Unveiling. I belong to you. This is what you're saying. I'm doing this. I openly confess that. You do the work in me. Have your way. Very good. That's one thing. No, that's very good. All right, so that's like kind of like when I become aware of the, of the veil. That's right. What happens when I want to be aware that there is a veil, but I don't know that there is a veil? <laughs> you with me? You know what I'm saying? So it's Absolutely. like, I mean, I want my heart to be before God. I don't even know what's there. What do I, what do, I do to become aware? Very good. Go to the scripture. You know, do, do, I mean, that was, that was exactly right, right? You go to the scripture, you find the scripture, you declare the scripture, right. you write the scripture, That's you right. speak the scripture, you get that declaration. What, what about for my heart? Because man, I want to be, you know, but man, it's deceitful. It's so easy, right? Like, yeah, I get, I get a veil. I don't even know. Like I'm doing everything I think I'm doing right, but somehow there's a veil. That's what right. is something that I can do that would help me become aware now we've kind of answered the question of what I do after I become aware. Yeah. What, what is something that I can do that helps me become aware? Yeah, that's so good. You know, I, I really believe uh, kind of two things. The Holy Spirit really is your exposure. And if you, will, if you will really ask the Lord, Lord, expose me. Now that's a dangerous prayer, right? Because when God really does start exposing things, it gets a little ugly. It does. It gets uncomfortable. Just like unveiling, you begin to see for who you really are. And you begin to acknowledge that. So there is an element of the Holy Spirit doing a work in you. There are some things that you cannot do for yourself, but you can open yourself up to, and God will do that work. Absolutely. Something practical, the other thing you do, this is why it's important to be surrounded with a community of people who are also on that journey with you. And so I'll have friends in my life, my wife more than anyone, right? Your spouse, if you're on this journey together, that's a big, big deal. And they will say it, because you may not be aware of it, but I have friends come up to me and say, man, you seem uh, you do, you do, seem really like, you don't seem like God's really exciting to you anymore right now. You keep buying stuff. You keep wanting stuff, materials. What's up with that? And then it's like, oh, maybe I am doing that. And I just became aware of something that I was drifting. I didn't even know it. 
Community is a big one. Having trusted people in your life that you can ask some of these questions to. And you trust that they're going to ask you and hold you accountable. I have friends in my life, if I see something, I will straight up say, bro, that's wrong. You need to check your heart. You need to probably repent of that. And you know, when, you, when someone, it sounds good, but when someone comes at you in your life, now ain't nobody around, no church people, ain't no pastors around, and someone says that to you, whoo, you know, you get a little defensive. You get a little, so again, I think asking the Holy Spirit to do his work, and he will do his work. He's an exposer. He will lead you to truth. But also having that community around you, I think, is big with accountability. Oh, very good. You know, and I think that that gets into, you know, what what the scripture says about about King David, right? That David was a man after God's own heart, right? And then you start you look at, okay, well, what what was David's life like? What what were David's you know what were some of David's prayers? And one of David's prayers, right, is like, hey, search me, oh God, if there's anything in That's me right. that offends you, right? Like, and so there's this there's this whole openness before God, this invitation of God to search my heart, yes. search my motives, right? And so I think that that is a very practical thing uh, that we need to build into our life, right? That That's this right. becomes a common thing that we say, God, search me, search me. I uh, I want to be I want to be honest about what's there, but God, I'm inviting you to search my heart. And then the people that we choose to put around us so important. Uh, it's, it's why you have to choose the right people. You know what you said a moment ago. Don't confess to anybody, right? Yes. But uh, but how many of you know? Like it's way easier to confess to the people that are going to go. Oh well, I'll tell you what I would have done. <laughs> you know, uh, you confess and well, I'll tell you. You know, and they and they jump on the bandwagon, and it's easy to confess with people who are either one going to make right. excuses for you, yes. right? Yes. Um, or two, just start harping on like why you were right and why that's not wrong. You don't need to apologize yeah, for yeah. that, that's right? right? And it's like, and it's easy to want to run to those people. That's right. And confess to the wrong people because they're going to tell us what we what we want to hear. Wow. wow. Right. Instead of looking at us and saying, "Man, that was wrong." We need to do like Jesus told Peter, like. Get behind me, Satan! You know, it's like it's <laughs> like right. exactly. trying to tell me to do the wrong thing. What are right. you doing, man? No, and I think that's that's very good. And that so the people that you have in your life, um, the 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 habit of prayer of asking God to search your heart. You know, I would add one thing that that has been very uh, very very good in my life, and that is the habit of journaling. Um, and I, I, and I journal like in a, in a more of like a bullet fashion. So I don't, I'm, I don't just like write paragraphs and sentences. Uh, so my, my thing every single day is I write down three things that I'm grateful for my three goals for 2022, my three goals for this week, and then just three thoughts that I'm having. And I don't filter those thoughts. I just write like whatever is in my head. It's very good. And when you just write like thoughts that are in your head and you write it on paper, sometimes it's like. That's scary. <laughs> very good. Yeah, that's You know what very I mean? Like good. that's yeah, yeah. that 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 something's something's not right about that. But but it was in my head and I can justify it in my head, but when I write it on paper it all of a sudden becomes real. So good. And if you can build a habit in your life uh, of 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 journaling, then the the gratitude is incredibly helpful. The, the, you know, three big goals for your year, for your week, very, very helpful, help keep you on track, doing important things, right, not being distracted and all that, yeah, all that stuff is so good. But the gratitude, the three gratitude, and then just three thoughts, like I said, I don't, I don't filter those thoughts, they're, they're not, they're not, uh, you know, great thoughts all the time i mean i'm just telling you i mean i'm I'm not like i'm not like uh i'm not trying to get some some confucius quote you know like i'm just i'm just writing three things down 
And, uh, and I just jot those things out. Here's the, here's the amazing thing, though. When I take those three thoughts that I've been writing down, and I don't, I don't notice the connection because I just write it down. I just write it down. Whatever it is, I just, three things, I just jot them down, get them down there. Uh, sometimes they would all be the same. Sometimes they're three completely different, not connected whatsoever, and I just jot them down. But whenever I go back and I, like, read those three thoughts for the month, are those three thoughts like for a season, right? And I'll just take a couple months and I'll read. It's amazing how I can begin to see the connection. Very good. It's incredible, the connection that so will good. come out of those. And I'll realize, wow. And I would have forgotten what I wrote down, you know, January 3rd, because here we are, you know, March 16th. And I'm not remembering January 3rd, but what I wrote down in January 3rd and what I wrote down in January 11th and what I wrote down January 19th and what showed up at January 31st and yeah. what showed up a few times in February. And now, it's, and now as I read through it, I'm like, whoa, there's a pattern here. There's a pattern here. And sometimes those are really good. Yeah, that's right. And sometimes I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> uh-oh, if it, if it shows up once, okay, if it shows up 17 times in the three months, like, okay, we need, to, we need to deal with that. And so there's got to be things, whether we're talking about people in your life, the practices of your life of journaling, the questions that you're asking God, uh, search my heart, God, is there anything in me that offends you, whatever that would be. It's got, we've got to have some routines and some patterns That's right. That's right. to, one, become aware of the veil, okay, become aware of the veil, and then we need, okay, once I become aware that there is something there, what do I do about it? And you've done a great job of really, you know, explaining that. But I just think it's, gr- it's very important that you have these practices built into your life. So good. It, it, is, it is crucial that you do these things on a regular basis because if you don't, guess what happens? Life happens. Life happens. And you have... You don't have the right people around you asking things of you. You don't have the practices that you need, like, ah, oh, journaling, oh, I don't know. I've never done that. I haven't been good at that, That's whatever, right. you know. Right. Uh, asking God these questions, okay, I'll do it for a few days, and then I forget about it in life, and I don't ask God. And then, and then we show up December 2022, and we haven't asked God, and we don't have the right people around us, and we don't have the habit of putting some thoughts down on paper where they actually come to life, and it gets real, and we can notice it, and we can see it, and all of a sudden life has just happened, and now we're like, God, man, I'm not where I want to be. It, yes, right, because I've been leaving, I've been living veiled, right? That's right. That's exactly and, right. And so, uh, just very, very important on the practical side. It, it was a be- beautiful, absolutely beautiful teaching. I just wanted to throw some of those things out there so you can say. Because because well, what we saw tonight is the is the uh, the the benefit of living unveiled before God, Amen. I mean, like that was that was beautifully communicated. I don't want to have a veil before God, and and I want to live unveiled before Him, so I can live unveiled before people, right? And and so I can connect with them and understand them, and and live in that. Yes, beautiful. Okay, fantastic. Okay, what are we going to do to make sure that's where we live? That's good. Very practical. Very practical things that you can that you can take with you. Uh, so I just wanted to jump up here and do that, Thank and we that. we can just we can close uh, in uh, in just a little prayer. I know we, yeah, we already we already at our time. So I, I stole your seven no, eight minutes so beautiful good. prayer yeah. time, uh, but I uh, just wanted to make sure we got some practical handles for exposing the veil. So good because that's what the enemy the enemy wants you to live veiled. Okay, so if we're if we're not going to do that, we need to know. Okay, how does that happen for me? On not just hearing. Okay, tonight you heard a message on the veil. Okay, you might come for the 
rest of the year and never hear me say the word veil on a Sunday, okay? And, and then you're going you're gonna to forget all about it, right? Okay, well, what we're saying here is I can't forget about this, yeah. man. No, you can't. I've got to have this That's in right. my life, right? right? And so we've got to have some of these practical things. Okay, I stole your time. Pray for us, man. Pray for us. Pray Absolutely. for us. Pray for us. Absolutely. I pray that you took a note of some of these questions. You can Google uh, Wesley's 21 accountability questions. I highly recommend you do that. Good self-evaluation in your marriage with some friends. Good questions. Hey, let me, let's pray. let me pray for you guys. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Father, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you for sending Jesus. I thank you for dying on a cross for us, Jesus. I thank you for loving us and showing and modeling a way for us, God, and making a way. Thank you, God, that you are our home. You're where we belong, that you dealt with shame. God, that you lifted and defeated Satan, and the spiritual veil, God, is broken. God, thank you so much for making a way, God. The invitation's there. God, we want to be the kind of people. Come on, let, let's make this our confession tonight together. God, that we want to be the kind of people that live unveiled before you. God, because right now, would you just invite the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, would you expose, would you expose where I have veiled? Will you, will you expose where I have put a veil between you and I? God, we don't want hearts that are dull, Lord. We want hearts that are sensitive to what you're doing and what you're saying, God. That's our confession, and we thank you, God, for what you're going to do in us. God, we thank you for what you're doing in our marriages, in our lives. God, we trust you. We belong to you, and we say it in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen.